Welcome to the Empowering Industry Podcast, a production from Empowering Pumps and Equipment as the voice of the pump and related equipment industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of the Empowering Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Matthews, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Segrest, sitting in for Bethany Walmack. Hey, Charlie. As always, it's amazing to be here with you and with our listeners. Thank you so much for choosing the Empowering Industry Podcast. And as always, please do us a favor and leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review, and also don't forget to hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss any episodes. All of this really helps us to show up in the podcast platforms, and it helps more listeners like you find the show, and we really appreciate it. As we do every week, we're going to cover social media updates, preview the news from Empowering Pumps and Equipment, and connect you with an industry influencer. But first, Charlie, I know you had a busy week, so I can't wait to hear about it. How was your week? I had a great week. You know, Alabama won the national championship. You know I had to say that, Michelle. Well, I mean, Uh, I'll say it. Roll Tide. I'm proud of this thing. This was an amazing season. It was a history-making season for Nick Saban and for the Alabama Crimson Tide. So even though... I'm an Auburn fan, big time Auburn fan. I have to congratulate the Tide. That was a big yeah. Game. I think I think it was Nick Saban's like part of it, like being that coach and like I've I've been to his like Nick at noons and he really has some inspiring things to say. It's pretty much the same things, right? Like uh, yeah. be somebody that you want to emulate, but to see him like kind of tear up and everything, and um, uh, it was more than that. You could see it like as he was being carried off the field, like. That right. was perfect I mean, because I've never seen he needed so, that, right? I've never seen him so animated. I've never seen him smile like that. And like, I know, like right? smile and be happy because he's always so stoic and so serious. And, and of course, he's a fantastic leader and you just want to follow him. You can't help yourself because he's so dynamic. But at the same time, you don't really see a lot of emotion from him ever. And, you know, he surpassed legendary Bear Bryant's record and that I mean, I don't care if you're an Auburn fan or Ohio State fan or Alabama fan. You you have to commend that and and be astonished by that. It's amazing. That's right. And he gives credit to Bear, which I think is uh, another symbol of his leadership and what he built. And, of course. Um, I just, uh, you know, it's it's really great. So, yes, we were on cloud nine and, you know, watching it over and over again type of thing. Yes. Um, but at the same time, we got a new puppy in our life. Oh, so. I can't wait to hear about this. I oh saw some adorable photos. So tell yes, me, see, so me it's a golden. That. Golden Doodle, and it's it's you know, supposed to be you know nice to be in the house, uh, hyper allergenic. I think yeah. I'm saying that right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they're they're supposed to be really great for kids. And anyway, he is his name is Luca. He is super friendly. Like he just wants to hug and like you Aww. know rub my belly. He could care less about fetch right now, which um, I think he has more of that poodle in him than the golden retriever Aww. from that. But you know, navigating the kids are only going to school two days a week. And so figuring out the schedule and trying to train a puppy has been interesting to say the least, but, uh, Jack is supposed to be Jackson's dog. And so though he's not getting up at six 30 with the dog to take him out first, I'm okay with that. As long as he, you know, does his part after that kind of initial wake up, he's the one that, you know, could sleep until 11 if I let him. So that's right. Yeah. Well, it's such great for it's, when you're training a puppy. It's also great training for children because it teaches them responsibility. Yes. It teaches them to care for another living thing and to have a schedule. It really is a great life tool. And of course, you know, puppies. Who doesn't love a puppy? 
I know. It's so, he's so sweet. And I just like, I just want to give him all the hugs. So, uh, okay. Well, Michelle, what was your week like? I know you're, you're probably, I need to hear, you know, uh, about Bo, but I know yeah. you're missing him. I'm missing him. He left this morning and he was here for two weeks. My son, Bo, who is 22 and a, as I've mentioned before, a graduate student at Boston University. I'm so incredibly proud of him. He is doing so well. And but oh, it just makes me so sad to see him go. I love these two weeks. We had so much fun together. And I, just, I know I'm going to have to call you just to oh, like give you some to. energy because I know you, you miss him. I just loved it so much. It was so wonderful to have him here. And he's just such great company too. He's like just a very cool kid. He's so easy to talk to and have a good conversation with. He's always up to date on current events and things going on in the world and the news. And he's just super intelligent and super fun, but he also loves to sit around and play the guitar and, you know, do, you know, watch movies and play tennis with me. And I've just, I just loved having him here, but okay. Now I can dive back into a good work routine and be more productive, but I miss him already. It's yeah. And you know, I think it's good to have those little breaks too. That And he made you kind of do different things than you normally would. That's right. That's true. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, that's true. So um, so it was a good week, just to uh, put a fine point on it. It was a great week, and it sounds like you had a great week. So I'll I'll look forward to continuing to hear about how the, how the puppy training is going. So yes, yeah, so really well, if we hear them on the call, then, we, then my kids stopped playing with him. Uh, he <laughs> does like to bark, um, and he doesn't like the kennel. So I yeah. said, okay, y'all play with him while we're doing the podcasting. Because uh, yeah. he doesn't bark any other time unless you yeah. put him in there. So well, I have two be- I have two beagles, and so when we did the podcast, I have to have to go ahead and give them a good walk right before and get them worn out so they want to sleep and give them a little treat. And they're kind of gotten used to it. They know that it's time to be quiet now. So, but yeah. it, but you may hear them too. You never know. Dogs bark. That's right. Well, this is this is our you know great way to be social with our dogs before, yes, right? right. So. Well, let's get social. Let's get social for uh, the podcast. Okay. This is the part of the show where we fill you in on a new trend or let you know what's happening in the industry on social media. Yes, but first we want to invite you to the upcoming virtual meetups. The Empowering Women meetup uh, was January 13th. We had a great time on that, but the next one is going to be February 10th. So every second Wednesday of the month is when that's going to happen. And then our Empowering Brands meetup is going to be January the 19th. So that's every third Tuesday. So hopefully you've got that on your calendars yeah. and, and you'll be, you know, signed up. And if you do sign up already, you know, we'll give you reminders um, leading up into those events in the, the rest of this year. That's always helpful. And we appreciate that. We don't want to miss those. And please remember to pre-register for those events so you can get the Zoom link. And of course, as always, we'll put a little more info in the show notes for you. Yes. And don't forget to give us a shout out on the show. Um, or to get your shout out on the show, all you have to do is mention us, uh, stay connected with us at empowering pumps and the empowering industry podcast is the hashtag that we're using. Perfect. Wonderful. Uh, Charlie, I'm really excited to talk to you about, uh, something really interesting today. I saw that you published a new blog that includes some great tips for using your voice and building your brand. Yes. So that topic is very dear to my heart because I am going through that right now, uh, and really trying to figure out and utilize everything I could to use my voice. So you might have heard us talk about uh, the blog that I wrote, Use Your Voice, Build Your Brand. Um, and so that is on the same topic, but a little bit more. I wanted to give you a little bit more. So we previously discussed using your voice and marketing and learning from others and how to benefit, how it's a benefit 
to public speaking. But there's a lot of other unique and effective ways to use your voice. And I think we, you know, we could go on for days about this. That's right. That's right. I love this topic. And of course, we're going to, as always, include a link in the show notes. All you have to do is click it and you'll go right to the article. But maybe it's got many tips in it, but we're let's cover just a couple of them and give the listeners a little taste of what's in the blog. Okay. Well, first, there's a sea of voices out there, we all know, and it can be difficult to find yours. So we're recommending beginning by starting with your why. Um, that was something that kind of clicked with me when someone said finding your why. And mm-hmm. so um, trying to, uh, you know, figure out what that is. Um, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, why are you trying to do this? Uh, what gives you passion and joy, I think is a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, my advice is just to be vulnerable about what you do. This will help get others wanting to hear from you and they believe what you say. So they'll be you know, wanting to hear from you more to see what you're going to say next. Followers must believe and trust you in order for you to help solve their problems. We've talked about that several times. Uh, we want people to trust you, but you also need to give them accurate information. Uh, so be open, but also accurate. Uh, you may realize that there is a niche. We did that when we found our own Empowering Women in Industry. Uh, That was created because I saw a need for women in industry to have a platform of their own, a space, a community. Uh, And in male-dominated spaces, uh, we lose that organic conversation with women that we, you know, really need. And I personally didn't know that I needed that Mm -hmm. uh, or that I lost it (laughs) until I had a, you know, a dinner with a group of ladies only. And I was like, wow, that was easy and fun. And I want more of that. (laughs) Right, exactly. And creating those opportunities is a big part of what you talk about in the blog. And this is just such great advice. And I think that finding the why that you mentioned can be difficult, but I love what you say about being vulnerable and remembering that other people are interested in what you have to say. Sometimes you think, well, who would want to hear what I have to say? But people do care. And you also mentioned in the article about the importance of embracing social media. Tell us a little bit more about that tip. Yes. In short, social media is an extension of how you network with people. It offers resources to get to know people, their background, and what they are looking for currently. So if you're, you know, connecting out there, and I think this is, you know, one of my tips I give in sales, before you make a sales call, go to their LinkedIn profile and look at it and say, okay, what do I have in common with this person? What does it look like that they interact with on social media? And that's going to give you an idea of what they are looking for right now, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, Social media is a tool just like any other content distributor, like television to radio, Uh, It allows you to share a message to a broader audience, and this is done digitally. So LinkedIn, of course, is a great tool for professional connections, and I love social media. Yeah, so many different channels. Instagram, I think, is my favorite now. Yeah, you're you're so good at social media, and I'm so bad at it. And I, you know, maybe you can help me today. You are great, and you create such great graphics and content and everything. (laughs) You are great for me, and I don't do it every single day. And I think this is because I don't embrace it as a part of my daily routine. So how can people like me who want to do it, I want to connect with my people out there. And when I do post something, maybe it's, it's good, but I don't do it enough. So how can we be better at embracing social media? Well, I think, you know, kind of going back to the basics, you you always fill out your profile and put your details in there that's relevant to the industry and you'll be rewarded with contacts, right? So people will see what you're up to, who you are, and they'll want to connect with you. Uh, we've used Zoom and that's been really great for meetings and video chats. And it really is beneficial to your business to connect with people this way, but also to your personal health. I don't know about you, uh, but these Zoom chats that we have where we can see the people, 
um, that gives me a little um, endorphins or something that I can get through, you know, this week. I would say too, just, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that what you're posting, people are reading, even if they're not engaging with it. It's something that I learned over this decade of, you know, embracing social media. They don't always comment and that's frustrating because it's what we want, mm-hmm. uh, but they do see it. And if you, you know, run into them later, have a conversation with them later, they'll bring it up. And so, you know, that they did see it. If you're not comfortable using social media or you don't have time, you just don't want to deal with it, you can get a third party to manage your accounts. You know, we do that at Empowering Brands uh, for people who, you know, just don't have the time. That's right. And that's a really great service. And it's also great advice. And I, I think I would have a hard time with it because it would be so hard to let go of the control of what I say or share. But on the other side, That also goes to the earlier point about being vulnerable and trusting someone else to manage this for you so you can focus on other things because sometimes you need to be doing things that are more important to your business, even though social media is important. If you spend your time too much time doing that, you're not doing other things that you need to do. Like for me, I'm a one man show, me or one woman show. I don't have an assistant or a help or a team. It's just me. So I think it's a good idea to maybe go to a third party to handle some of it's those It's really details. important to look at our businesses and see what we can delegate. And um, so that's that's a really great point. If you don't have time to do your social media and you want you know somebody to do it, then it may really help you look at, you know, your company and be more strategic or, you know, just allow you not to miss out on opportunities that social media provides. Because when you are active on social you you're reaching a broader audience than what you could do on your own. And so that's why it's really important there. It's so true. It's so true. And this is another reason why I love this blog, because it's just full of fantastic tips just like that. And um, I think we have time. Will you share one more tip with us that's in the blog? Okay, of course. Uh, Another thing that I believe in strongly is utilizing mentors and protégés. And I talked about Rebecca uh, on the last podcast, and she really embraced our company. And I put her in that protege. She may not. I love that, but definitely mentor her and and trying to bring her along. And she's done a great job. Uh You may have knowledge for your industry. You may need knowledge, or perhaps it's a combination of both. Know that there are mentors, protégés, and colleagues of all sorts around our industry willing to help. Empowering Women was built in response to need for space for women in the industry. There is a need, you know, there may be some similar need um, in your business. Maybe maybe you're new to your career. Um, like we were talking about Rebecca, she kind of mm-hmm. reached out to me early on. But don't be afraid to reach out to a mentor and ask them for the experience that you need. Maybe you're on the brink of retirement, okay? And you want to do something completely different uh, or you want to be there to share your knowledge uh, with the next generation. So there's just so many things in this realm of mentors and proteges and just connecting with people in the industry that you do, you can do that through social media with little effort. If you kind of get a process together. That's so true. And also, you know, there are leaders in the industry who still have a lot to learn as well. And sometimes we learn, like you said, you learn a lot from Rebecca. She she is younger. She has fresh new ideas. And so sometimes it's the leaders who have the learning to do. And so it's a two-way street, which is really uh, productive and organic and wonderful. 
Absolutely, Michelle. Uh, once uh, you reach this leadership position, which uh, y'all all know, I, I think um, it's an ongoing thing. Um, be sure that everyone under your care is having a chance to be heard. And, you know, even if you're walking around, well, um, I'm not doing this right now, but when we were walking around with trade shows, if I mm-hmm. was there kind of as this leader and I had someone younger than me or other than me, they would always, you know, cater to, to me or talk to me first. And so I would have to make a conscious effort to, you know, direct them back to the person that I was with. And I think that's really important to do mm-hmm. that. Even on these Zoom calls, if you notice that, um, you know, comment and ask, you know, what the other person thinks about the situation. Uh, it's important to have people unlike you in a room to offer opinions and perspectives. And, you know, I think, like you said, anytime that I can be quiet and other people will talk, um, it's a it's it's my win for the day. Absolutely, yeah. I love learning, and I love you know being able to find that quiet space to allow them enough time to ask the right, you know, ask a question and and get, get their perspective. So just allow yourself that extra, you know, five seconds. Mine's probably like two seconds. (laughs) No, no, you are so good about that. You're so good about including other people in the room. Like if you see someone is not having their voice heard, you're so good about asking them a question and asking for their perspective so that their voice can be heard. You're just wonderful about that. That's what makes you uh, one of the many things that makes you such a great leader. And I, I just love this Thank topic. You. Oh, you're so welcome. It's so true. But it's it's just so important to use your voice. And I love that you're always reinforcing this for the rest of us. It's really important. And so I want people to go and read this blog because we just covered like three of the tips and there's a bunch of them. And so we just gave you a little taste of it. You really should go read it. As I said before, it's the link will be in the show notes and it's just great stuff. You really need to read it. Yes. And like Michelle using her gifts, we're going to get into the news. Yeah. Good. Great. Well, the news is my favorite section. This is the part of the podcast where we preview the news that is coming out on the Empowering Pumps and Equipment newsletter this week. Okay. First, we want to celebrate our industry person of the week, Scott Lane. Scott is an engineering software developer at Applied Flow Technology. Yeah, Scott is really interesting. He's an accomplished engineer and a great problem solver. And you can read all about him by following the link in the show notes. And please remember that if you want to nominate someone, we're always wanting to learn about people who are awesome at their jobs and who are making important and significant contributions to the industry. So we want to congratulate Scott. Now let's get to the news. The first item we want to share is, we mentioned it last week, but now we have a little bit more detail about the Roundtable Zoom Table event that will be February 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. And it's all about the intersection of energy management and the industrial internet of things within pumping systems. So as you know, Charlie, power for pumps costs up to 30% of process manufacturers' factory operating expenses. Uh, Opportunities to address this cost and the environmental impacts should have high priority. So how can we do this? We do it through the instrumentation and measurement of pumping environments and the development and promotion of efficient pump measures such as maintenance, motor sizing, and flow optimization. So in this two-hour conversation, We have enlisted some of the top industry leaders to share and discuss pump power optimization and best practices. They are part of organizations that are leading the way in this optimization process. So join us 
in creating awareness for the industry and enhancing this these customer relationships along the way. And just as a reminder, again, that's February 4th from 10 a.m. Central Time until noon. It's a two-hour event. Yes, and be sure to follow the link in the show notes to register for this. Uh, it has all of our speakers that are um, listed there, their headshot and bio, so you can see who they are and what they do uh, for our industry. And I'm just so excited. It's a, it's a great group, people who you know I've known in the industry and have touched our lives along the way. So just check them out and, and give them a shout out. Uh, you can mention us and then get a shout out on the Empowering Industry Podcast, but it's going to be awesome. I'm excited about it. Yes, I can't wait for this. It's going to be really, really great. Don't miss it. Another interesting article that I want to tell our listeners about and they should definitely check out is from our friends at Load Controls. Now, Charlie, you know that monitoring motor power is a clever way to get feedback from machine and process performances. Yes, monitoring the load on a motor can give you valuable information. I really, this blew my mind uh, when I first learned this. So, but yes, I know this and I think it's super cool. Yeah, that's right, Charlie. It's really important. It, um, uh, so just for a little more detail, on a mixer or agitator, for example, as the viscosity increases, it will take more power to stir the mixture. And when it thins, the load goes down. So when cutting metal, as a tool gets dull, it takes more power to make the cut. And when a, yeah, sure. And yeah, simple, right? And so when a pump runs dry, the load drops off sharply. Now, this article demonstrates how a power sensor can measure these load changes and send a signal to meters, computers, programmable, programmable controllers, recorders, or data collection systems. A load control senses the load and has built-in relays to sound alarms, change feed rates, stop the machine, etc. I think it's really cool and definitely worth reading, uh, definitely worth uh, paying attention to this conference or summit that we're going to have to discuss it. What else we got this week, Michelle? Yeah, we have another really interesting article from FlowServe that, and this is really cool, Charlie, This um, they have a new virtual plant tool. So they've developed this unique tool that features 3D models of various plant types to help you see their capabilities in key industrial applications. So Virtual Plant offers a new and innovative way for current and prospective FlowServe customers to browse product information for select applications within the oil and gas, chemicals, water, power, and other general industries. The information within Virtual Plant is based on real-life cases from customers who have used these products successfully in these applications. So all the product recommendations are based on proven customer scenarios and real-world conditions. This is really just neat. I mean, if you have it, if you have no, cool. like, yes. you know, uh, relevance to the pump industry, you happen to be on our podcast, um, you still should check this out. Um, tools like this are you know, just super cool um, to be able to see inside of a plant, but they are also can really simplify proposals, even support employee onboarding and training. It's just like some really cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's a bonus. Virtual plant enhances the training of your new employees. It's really interesting. Uh, by exploring these 3D models and related information, they can learn more about the pumps and the valves and the seals that they will encounter in their plant's various application areas. So it's really interesting. You should really check this out. Of course, as always, we will include the links to all these articles in the show notes. Yes, these are some really great articles we picked this week, and they're definitely worth your time. And we hope that you will subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah, I think I, I jumped ahead, Michelle. Yeah, no, yes, definitely subscribe to the newsletter. Subscribe to the Empowering Pumps and Equipment newsletter so you don't miss anything going on in the industry. We keep you very informed 
Uh, But for now, let's get to the highlight of the podcast. This is the time for our industry interview. So who do you have for us today, Charlie? Today, I'm talking with Dr. Andy Zimmerman about predictive maintenance and the industrial internet of things. Well, I'm so excited to hear this interview. Dr. Andy Zimmerman is the CTO of Grace Technologies. And in that role, he oversees the company's technical roadmap and is also responsible for the Grace Sense predictive maintenance line of Industrial Internet of Things Technologies. So really cool stuff. After finishing his PhD in civil engineering at the University of Michigan, Andy has spent the past decade developing low-cost, low-power wireless sensing technologies for monitoring the health of a wide variety of engineered systems. So in addition to the IoT products he's built for the industrial market, he also has developed self-powered occupancy monitoring systems for the National Science Foundation, whole strain monitoring systems for the Department of Defense, and structural health monitoring systems for both the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Transportation. I can't wait to hear this interview. Yeah, he really fascinated me with, you know, his work that he was doing in civil engineering and with the Department of Homeland Security projects. It was definitely one of the reasons why I picked him to be on the energy management conversation and and the IoT, of course. But I think that our listeners uh, should really listen to this. They're going to enjoy the conversation. And there's a lot in there from him that I just think is super cool. So awesome. Well, let's get to it. Let's get to the interview. Hey, Andy. How are you? Yeah, Yeah. welcome to the Empowering Industry Podcast. It's good to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. And I know we're going to learn so many great things. But first, just introduce yourself. Tell everybody kind of what your day job's like. (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. Um, I'm Andy Zimmerman. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Grace Technologies, um, which which means I wear a lot of hats. So my day job differs a lot from day to day. but uh, yeah, I've got got kind of a unique background, so I don't know. Do you want me to kick into that right away? Oh yeah, well I'm going to ask you all about you. So yeah, tell me how you got into the industry. All right, so so <laughs> so my my I, I yeah, it, it's a very roundabout answer to that question, to be honest. So I I'll, I'll just go kind of way back to the beginning. I got kind of into the industrial Internet of Things space um, through, I guess what I would say a, a non-traditional starting point. So I, I did my, my graduate work at the University of Michigan, uh, did my PhD in the Department of uh, Civil Engineering, actually with a specialty in structures, right? So that thesis work I did there was all focused on building low cost, low power wireless sensors that were designed to monitor civil infrastructure. So things like long span bridges or uh, Navy ships or uh, wind turbines, buildings, you know, in, in seismically active regions, that sort of thing. And, you know, that led to the formation of a company uh, that I started with my PhD advisor back in 2009 uh, called Civionics. Um, we did a lot of work there. I'm happy to talk about that if you want to a little bit later. Well, um, what if, well I do want to back up and, <laughs> yeah. and this is ask you why you chose civil engineering, right? I feel like, you know, I want to know because engineering wasn't, you know, really offered to to women and in, in, as like a role, but for you, like what, what was it that made you choose that? Well, 
Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe fate. I, I, so I, I knew, I knew I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, you know, I had the, the kind of math and science aptitude and interests growing up that, you know, just, it was, it was obvious I wanted to play with numbers and build things and what those numbers were and what the things that I was building were, uh, you know, really until I was a couple of years into college, I didn't know for sure. So, my undergraduate, uh, Colorado School of Mines, um, just a fantastic engineering program, but they really focus on a generalized engineering degree, right? So, you know, they, you kind of have a couple of years to figure out where your specialty really wants to lie. My dad was a civil engineer, um, and I actually don't think that had anything to do with my decision, to be honest. I, uh, he, he and I never really talked that much about like what he did at work. So I, I don't know that that influenced me. He was working. All. That's why he, yeah. he was just doing the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he kind of was your traditional civil engineer and the, you know, designing roadways and, and being very heavily involved in, in kind of the, the, the earth and, and uh, you know, big massive infrastructure kind of projects. Um, you know, and I think what drew me from the beginning was the concept of getting into the more of the, I guess, the structural or the architectural side of, of that profession. Um, you know, I think when I went into graduate school, you know, my, my desire was really to, to sit on the design side. Um, I had a, a lot of passion for potentially designing uh, large pieces of infrastructure. You know, you see those, those beautiful buildings, beautiful bridges, you know, the stadiums that get developed for, for uh, Olympics and those sorts of events. Uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of, <laughs> it's a very unique field to be in. And there's a lot of kind of glamour associated with that. Um, you know, and when I talk about kind of my, my career path, I always talk about how, you know, I hit, I hit graduate school. Um, I started working in a lab that had a lot of interests on the, the kind of boundary between civil engineering and computer science. Um, I like that just because of that kind of generalized engineering approach I'd always had. And through that experience, I kind of became aware that, you know, with the glamour of building these, these big pieces of civil infrastructure, you know, it also was coupled with a heavy degree of responsibility. You know, while I was out at University of Michigan doing my PhD work, that I-35 bridge collapsed up in Minneapolis. You know, and you see that as as kind of an example of how, you know, it's not necessarily an issue with the design, but when civil assets fail, they they fail catastrophically and people die, right? And that's and you know, a lot of times a lot of people die. So, you know, that kind of made me think about ways that I could take that that structural engineering background and and kind of position it in a way that I could build systems that would help those those pieces of civil infrastructure, you know stay healthy. Right. Yeah. And so, and I think that gets you into kind of that predictive maintenance side of the business. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that, that community? Yeah, and- absolutely. Absolutely. So that was, I mean, that's, that's exactly the segue, right? So we, we built low cost, low power networks of wireless sensors that we'd put out on, you know, bridges or, or ships or wind turbines or whatever it was. And in that industry, you're looking at vibration, Right, um, similar to a pump in in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, but you know, you're you're taking that vibration uh, signature and you're tying that back to potential degradation in the structure. So if you have a crack here, um, you know, or you've got some corrosion or uh, rusting that's happening elsewhere in the bridge, you'll see a, a change in the vibration signature of that structure over time, and you can use that to figure out, hey, this thing is degrading, and we need to go out and do maintenance on it. 
Um, it's just exactly what we look at for pumps. Is it vibrating? Is it making noise? What do we need to do? Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the biggest difference is honestly, um, in the civil structure, you don't have a constant excitation source, right? So there's not like a motor sitting there turning the thing. It's, uh, you got to wait for cars to drive over the bridge. Um, yeah, you know, I spent time in Taiwan sitting on a bridge in the middle of the night waiting for, you know, somebody to run over it, right? Which is, oh my goodness. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier when you can just turn the turn the thing on and see what it's doing. Yeah, so I want to I want to talk about that because I feel like this IoT and, and bringing that into this industrial space, and I, I think that that's a huge responsibility. You know, you talk about responsibility, and that's kind of a key what we're what we're talking about. But me coming from this social media world and trying to bring that into this engineering space was also a challenge. So I can see how digital technology coming into the field is tough. So how can, I mean, what's it like working in that community that's kind of slow to adapt or adopt, I guess? These things? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, yes, the industrial space is very slow to change, right? That said, in this particular space, right, when we talk about IoT, really, it can be broken down into its fundamental, which is, uh, you know, we're trying to develop technology that's going to allow people to detect degradation, so that they can maintain that before it becomes unexpected downtime, right? It's like, that's, 90% of the time, that's the value proposition you're trying to offer is some, you know, predictive capability to, to, to get at a maintenance activity before it's happening, you know, uh, retroactively when everything's on fire, right? That's right. So, and you don't want to lose product or something like that, right? So downtime equals like loss of revenue, if you really look at it um, yep, long term. Yep. So it's that saving within a plant. Uh, or process. So there's other industries, like you said, that could be on fire or that are very critical industries that we want to make sure that doesn't break because it can hurt people too. Yep. So there's definitely that element to it. Well, and I, I actually, that's a good point. I want to piggyback on that a little bit. You know, Grace is a electrical safety company at, at heart, um, you know, and has been for the last 25, 30 years, you know, and so when we look at the IoT space, we actually, that, that safety aspect is a big part of it. Something like 70% of industrial on-site accidents happen during reactive maintenance activities. So, you know, if, if we can do our maintenance in a planned way, instead of when something unexpected happens, you know, that that's, that's not only good for the bottom line, but it's also good for the workers. It's good for, for the industry as a whole. It's, it's good for, you know, safety of personnel. Yeah. We're in our different kind of mindset. We're not in fight or flight or, you know, freeze uh, mindset. We're in kind of, okay, let, this is what we actually need to do and do it strategically and in the way that we should do it. I am interested in a couple of things that were in your profile. So it said that you worked uh, for the department of Homeland security. And I was wondering like, you know, what's the difference there? Is, is there something you can talk about like that versus the industrial community? Absolutely. So, so I didn't work for DHS. Um, my company, um, Civionics did a lot of government funded research. Um, and obviously coming out of the civil space, right, we had some ties into uh, the Department of Defense, you know, we worked with with Office of Naval Research. But but yeah, I, I think the one that would be fun to talk about is kind of that work with Homeland Security. So they had an interest in building a low-cost, easily deployable system that first responders could take into structures that were damaged. So whether that was after an earthquake, whether that was after a terrorist attack, you know, whether that was after just a, a building fire, right? Um, they had an interest in being able to give incident commanders 
data that was actionable, right? That would allow the incident commander to decide is, uh, is it safe to send people into that building to search for victims really is, is what, it, what that was about. It was a search and rescue kind of effort, you know? And so coming from that structural background, you know, we were able to, to build out uh, a system that could go in and give, you know, a, some sort of quantitative assessment of the stability of those structures over time. And just another tool in the arsenal of that incident commander to make a, a decision about somebody else's life. At the time, you know, that was, that was, that was my path towards potentially, you know, saving lives and kind of that side of the, the equation. I, unfortunately, that project kind of got bogged down with government bureaucracy as a lot of things do. So, you know, we, as a small business, just didn't have time to, to sit around and wait and didn't have the capital to go after the large scale tests we needed to really get that situated. But that, that was kind of the impetus behind finding a, a commercial area that had a need for the technology that we were developing and that would allow us to kind of continue to grow uh, as a business. And that, that led us directly into the industrial space actually was that project. Yeah, I think there's this sense of responsibility. I love this word that keeps coming up as you talk, because I think that you, you may have this passion for protecting people and like, you know, making sure that we recognize things kind of before they happen, keeping people out of danger. So that safety aspect of what you do every day, I think comes true throughout your story, which I, I find just really, really fun. But then if I'm remembering correctly, did you also play rugby? I did not play. It wasn't you. Okay. Can't I couldn't remember. <laughs> I couldn't remember when I, when I said, okay, I'm going to ask it just to say, cause I was going to say that's the opposite of, of that. Okay. So it's the other podcast that I have anyway. So, so that's fun. Right. Uh, so, so now your office can imagine you playing rugby. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I'm happy to play rugby, but no, yeah. no sorry. Okay. Wasn't me. Okay. So it wasn't you. So, so tell me, is there anything else uh, just, you know, that you want our readers to know, or our listeners to know about kind of the work that you do and how important it is, uh, because I know it is. So, so anything else you want to leave them with? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, our product line at Grace is designed to tackle a large number of different applications, right? And that's one of the things that we've seen in the IoT space is a lot of solutions are kind of focused on, on one thing, right? And that, that could be vibration, right? And that's part of what we offer. But, you know, we're really trying to develop solutions that A, you know, will allow our customers to tackle whatever the issue is in their facility, right? Whatever the critical asset is that goes down all the time, we want to be able to partner with you to bring that into kind of a place where it's where, where you're not seeing that downtime like like you may be now. I think secondly, you know, we're, we're taking a little bit different tact than some of the other vendors in terms of providing the support behind the technology. Um, you know, we've got a team of kind of application engineers who we like to deploy along with a project. We want to make sure that when our technology goes out the door that we're actually creating value, you know, in the plant that it's that it's being deployed in, um, you know, and, and delivering something that is tailored specifically to that, that one application. And so, you know, we're passionate about that. IoT is kind of a new space. So we're, we're learning all the time, you know, and, and our customers are doing a good job of teaching us, you know, what we can do better and what we can do differently. But we're, we're excited about the future there. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. It's learning what people need and learning, you know, what we can develop and, and how to be like their partners in this space. And, and so I'm glad that we have somebody else in this space that kind of understands the process and, and what, what we're dealing with, what we're trying to prevent, or, you know, I think the other thing I wanted to just touch on for you in that space of motors and pumps, and there's so much energy that's used and, mm 
you know, that we can save. Did mm -hmm. you, do you find there's any kind of correlation there with being able to predict things on saving energy? So uh, I'm going to answer that in a roundabout way. Okay. Um, I think that one of the underutilized advantages of industrial internet of things technology is optimizing operations, right? So, uh, you know, our solution, yes, it monitors your vibration and it can tell you, Hey, this, this pump seems like it has an alignment issue, right? That, I don't know if that directly ties to, to an energy savings, but we also can monitor, you know, the current that you're drawing in, in that. And, and as you start to see degradation, right? So if you've got a motor that's spinning and the shaft is, has some sort of frictional loss, well, you're going to be pulling more current um, while that thing's running suboptimally, right? So, so right there, there is a tie back that you can, you can glean in terms of energy savings. Now, you know, we've done some work with uh, some industrial customers, you know, Chrysler kind of being the big one where they're really interested in reducing, you know, specifically targeting energy with IOT, you know, and that that's something that can be done, you know, at the, at the subsystem level, more on the electrical side of the equation, you know, and that, that kind of goes back to our, our focus on technology that's applicable to applications that are, are bigger bigger than just vibration. Yeah. And I, I think that you're going to be an asset to what we're looking for um, to talk about in that uh, kind of round table discussion on IOT and, and how that's going to play a big mm. part of that. It's, it is looking at the whole system and what, mm -hmm. how we can use it uh, to benefit our, I guess, customers or in base or however you want to describe the, the user of that. So Anything else you, you want to give? Any advice for this industry? Um, I think we, we've, we've done a great job of kind of talking about um, the importance of IoT and what it can, can do as far as being safe um, in our plants. But what, what else do you have for us? Yeah, I mean, I, th I, I guess if you're asking me for closing, closing statements, I'd, I'd say, you know, IoT is not an easy thing, right? Like, I don't know that there's, that anybody has kind of found the solution, you know, and that's, that's us included, so it's a path. It's something that we're all kind of working towards. Everybody kind of sees the thing at the end where everybody's seen hackups before we get there. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I just encourage anybody that's kind of had frustrations with, with an IoT product line, um, you know, to, to kind of understand that this is a maturing technology. It's not like a lot of the things in the industrial space that have been around for 40 years. Um, you know, and I, I think we're, we're in a world where, you know, three to five years from now, we've, there's a tremendous number of offerings that are a rugged and reliable, but B that are kind of have adopted a common uh, communications protocol that makes it easier to install. You know, I think that's, that's one of the big things we've found is that, you know, we want to be able to talk via standard industrial protocols, not using some, you know, types of protocols that you, you see on more the commercial side of the IOT spectrum. You know, and I think I think the other kind of last piece of that is, you know, when it comes to IoT, you can get a long way by just looking at data. But I don't think a purely data-driven focus on IoT is ever going to get you all the way there. Um, so, you know, when we when we approach uh, our partnerships with our kind of AI or ML partners, you know, it's it's always about taking the physics behind a given application and creating a data-driven approach that leverages those, those physics-based insights to give, to give insights from the data that, that actually have meaning and aren't just artifacts of the data themselves. Yeah, I completely agree. We have to look at the data and have somebody that actually knows what's going on to read it and apply it. 
And uh, I think that's a, a key point. And I look forward to being able to, you know, have somebody on the team uh, that's in our space that people can look to, to have those conversations and adapt and change and, and move our industry forward. So Andy, I'm really excited to be able to share your story with everyone. Thanks for being on here with me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Charlie. Uh, this was uh, as advertised. I love this interview and I want to thank uh, Dr. Andy Zimmerman for sharing this important topic with us. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Thank you. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We really appreciate it. You can always reach us at Empowering Pumps or using the hashtag Empowering Industry Podcast on social media. And also email us at podcast at empoweringpumps.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, be empowering. I'm your host, Charlie Matthews, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Sorry, Michelle, we'll start over. <laughs>